From the stuff your mother never told you to the stuff your doctor never learned, On Health is what happens when a midwife plus a Yale-trained MD shares about all things women's health, from periods to menopause, sex to reproductive health politics, motherhood to mental health. Join me for taboo-busting conversations that demystify and destigmatize our bodies, all while bridging the gap between conventional medicine and wellness. Along the way, we'll be exploring the science and wisdom of how our bodies work, what makes us well, what gets in the way, and how we can live our best lives on our terms. When it comes to women's health and well-being, there's nothing we won't talk about. The new medicine for women is here. I'm Dr. Aviva Ram. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the first official Let's Chat About That episode, where you get to call in a question and I answer it. Sophia and all you pregnant mamas out there, congratulations on your pregnancy. And Sophia, thank you for this question. I'm sure so many mamas listening will relate. If you're not pregnant, but you want to know about immunity, and this is the first time you're tuning in, what I share with you will be totally relevant. But I also have another episode for you just on boosting immunity that I did recently. If you're planning to conceive soon, this is definitely relevant. So bookmark this one and have a listen. Grandmamas, aunties, birth workers, you'll all find something to share with the pregnant mamas in your life in this episode. Before we dive in, I want to give a quick content warning. We're going to be talking about some of the possible complications of common seasonal infections when they occur in pregnancy. While these are rare, and I'm going to continue to remind you about that, they're still important to know. And I just want you to be aware because as a mama and a midwife myself, I know how tender we feel and how big our emotions are when it comes to hearing some of the pregnancy risks. But I'll also be telling you all of the things you can do to prevent infection and stay healthy throughout the season. Hello, this is Dr. Aviva. Hello, my name is Sophia, and I'm eight weeks pregnant with my second baby, and I have a question that I wonder if some other pregnant people are thinking about right now. So this time around, I'm feeling super, super anxious about getting sick, especially in the first trimester. I'm not feeling as nervous about COVID since I actually just had it around a month ago, so I'm feeling fairly confident in my immunity from that. But I'm feeling, you know, really anxious about all the other bugs going around. I feel like everyone I know right now is sick and I'm just consumed with worry. You know, every time I send my daughter to preschool or have social plans, I'm just worried that I could potentially catch something that would negatively impact the pregnancy. And I'm unclear how much of my anxiety is just purely pandemic related and how much is actually rational? You know, should I relax and just live my life totally normally, send my daughter to preschool, attend family gatherings for the holidays, or should I be living in a mask constantly, avoiding socializing, etc.? I have to imagine people have been getting sick and pregnant, you know, since the dawn of time, but I'm feeling so vulnerable now. And yeah, I guess I would just love your thoughts on this any help making this concern right-sized would be so appreciated. How vulnerable am I really, especially in the first trimester, to, you know, catching a cold or getting the flu or whatever? I'm so grateful for you and all that you do, and I'm a huge fan. So thank you so much for listening. 
Sophia, I hear you on feeling super anxious about getting sick. And of course, first trimester is such an important time for baby's growth. And we've all heard, especially if we've been pregnant, about how careful we have to be in the first trimester. So it's natural to be anxious. You're not alone. You're not weird for having this massive anxiety about this. There's a lot going on in there that we just can't see. And even with a second or subsequent pregnancy, we still feel so responsible for our baby's well-being. So it can feel like a lot of pressure. And it's an especially rough year for all things infection. Anxiety about getting sick was already naturally heightened by COVID, and now there's this triple-demic, as it's being called in kids, RSV, flu, and colds, and COVID isn't just a thing of the past. And we're all susceptible to all of these things with more or less risk depending on our age and other factors about our immunity and our genetics and all the things. So it's really important with all of this going on in the world and you being pregnant to be really easy and gentle on yourself about having worries because who wouldn't? And I'm just gonna say, as a mama of four, pregnancy is the start of wearing your heart on your sleeve. My kids are 28 to 37 at the time of this recording that I'm doing right now, and it doesn't stop on some level. We're mothering for the rest of our lives, and there will be no shortage of opportunities to worry about things. So as hard as it is to manage these worries when we're pregnant, it's also an ideal time to start to develop inner practices to help us cope with these worries, to do what we can to protect ourselves and our littles, and then learn to release the worry over what you have no control over. Because as it's been said, if you worry about a problem, you have it twice. And most of the things we worry about never happen. So we've spent a lot of time worrying and feeling miserable unnecessarily. Also, worry doesn't help you think more clearly. So it's another reason to learn to use our breath, meditation, journaling, mindfulness, and resilience tools to learn to transform worry into proactive practices and then trust that you're doing the things to support your immunity and protect yourself and your children. And that's why I also don't sugarcoat, right? If I just was all namby-pamby and wellnessy and said, oh, you can take echinacea and that'll fix everything, that wouldn't be fair, right? You wouldn't know what to look out for. You wouldn't know what to do if something did come up. And it's important for us to be knowledgeable about all the things. I also don't want to dismiss the very important, too often overlooked condition of prenatal anxiety. If anxiety is preoccupying or overwhelming your thoughts, if it's a constant distraction, if it is incapacitating you, if it is waking you up at night and you can't go back to sleep, not because you have to get up in the middle of the night to pee, but because you're really worried, this could be prenatal anxiety. And that's important to discuss with your midwife or other care provider and get the care that you need. I have a wonderful podcast on perinatal mood disorders and challenges with the founders of the Motherhood Center, Catherine Berndorf, MD, and Paige Bellenbaum, licensed clinical social worker. And it's really incredibly supportive and informative. And I also have many other resources on my website, my podcasts. But again, just having worries doesn't mean you have prenatal anxiety. So I don't want you to get worried about that. But if you do feel that you're having more than what you would consider I'm going to use the word normal, but like kind of expected worries. If the worries are getting in the way of your well-being, 
talk to someone because nobody should have to live miserably with worries all the time. That's too much worry. So let's switch gears and talk about the realities of getting sick with common infections during pregnancy. I've been doing this work as a midwife and MD for a combined 37 years now. And I can tell you from experience in both of those professions and also statistically, about two thirds of women do develop some type of respiratory illness during pregnancy if they're pregnant through the winter, like cold or flu season. However, most, and I want to emphasize most in all caps with lots of exclamation points here, most pregnant women don't get severely sick during cold and flu season. Even when they have little ones who are coming home with the entire germ bank of their town from preschool or school exposures, even women who are working in healthcare and getting exposed, most don't get severely sick. Most get a cold or if it's a flu, it's a mild case. Fewer than 2% of pregnant women require admission to an intensive care unit during pregnancy or in the first few weeks postpartum. An acute respiratory failure, something that we've heard about during COVID and something that's, you know, probably the scary, scary complication that requires mechanical ventilation in pregnancy affects just 0.1 to 0.2% of pregnant women. So it's teeny tiny numbers that we're talking about. But it's important because the physiologic changes in cardiorespiratory function, how our cardiac function works and how our respiratory function works during pregnancy and our immunologic changes that allow us to tolerate our fetus rather than seeing our fetus as a foreign body that our body rejects does make pregnant women more vulnerable to viral infections like the flu and also increases our susceptibility to becoming very sick when we do become pregnant and get one of those infections. woman who's pregnant could become very sick. But I also want to emphasize that it's much more likely in women who are already at higher risk of acquiring an infection because they have comorbidities like asthma, diabetes, heart disease, immunocompromise, or being a smoker, or are much more likely to be exposed. Nurses, military, possibly school teachers, travel plans, right? Lots of people got sick over the holidays because they were visiting family and friends, being in transportation like an airplane or being with family and friends and people have let their guard down. So they're getting together when they're sick. They know they have a cold and they're like, yeah, it's just a cold. We're going to still get together. Also, certain medical beliefs may make some of us more susceptible. If you're not getting vaccinated and you do get exposed and there's no judgment here, just hard facts. If you're not vaccinated for something and you're exposed to it, you're statistically more likely to get it than somebody who is vaccinated. And so that's important to consider. And also, just keep in mind, even with all of these factors that I've just shared, the data is still really small. Those 2% and that 0.1 and 0.2% applies to all of these people, all of the women with these medical conditions and all of these exposures. So it's still really small, but it's not nothing. So I want you to really be mindful and take it seriously. And keep your awareness up. I don't want you to be guarded, but keep your awareness up. And I'm going to talk about the things that can really help us to maintain good health. And it's important to also know your personal risks. And I'm going to talk about minimizing exposures whenever possible. 
What we're going to focus on today are the common seasonal infections that happen during cold and flu season. Also, there are some non-respiratory infections that you want to follow precautions about, and your midwife or medical provider should be talking to you about these or, you know, learn about them. Primary herpes outbreak in the first trimester. So half to three quarters of people have herpes and virus that we've been exposed to at some point in our life. And many of you, if you have herpes, you either get cold sores or genital sores, you know it. If you already have herpes, then your risk of herpes outbreaks in pregnancy doesn't increase risks to the baby. Only if you have an active herpes outbreak vaginally or genitally and you give birth through that. But if you get herpes for the first time during pregnancy, then that's a very high risk infection for baby's exposure. So really important if you have new sexual partners during pregnancy that you're asking the questions, getting the information, using protection, etc. A couple of other pregnancy infections that you might hear about are toxoplasmosis and listeria. Toxoplasmosis is why we're told to avoid changing the kitty litter when we're pregnant. We had a cat when I was pregnant. And I remember my husband at some point saying, so how long is it that you can't change kitty litter for? And I said, oh, I can't ever again. I mean, this is a lifelong thing. That's not true. Actually, it's only in pregnancy. And he called on pretty quickly that it wasn't true. If you're a gardener, not working in gardens where kitties poop, because it's in the cat poop, raw fish like in sushi, those are some big exposures for toxoplasmosis, pretty easy to avoid. And then raw milk and raw dairy products can contain listeria if it's contaminated, and those can cause increased risk of miscarriage and problems for the baby as can toxo. Okay, so the common seasonal infections happening right now and that are most common in the fall winter season, which is actually, it's going to depend on which hemisphere you live in. So in the Northern hemisphere, this has typically been late October to early March, but climate change and also COVID, and I'll explain that in just a minute, have actually both contributed to an interesting phenomenon where a lot of these infections are starting earlier. So they're starting even sometimes in late September, early October. And they're ending later, all the way into early April. And a couple of years ago, we even had a flu resurgence in May. So it's the typical ones that are happening this time of year are flu or influenza. It's the same thing. Flu is short for influenza, colds, and RSV, which is respiratory syncytial virus. And now we can add COVID to the mix of viruses that we're exposed to. And that's not fully seasonal, though. It's still happening all year round. These are a pregnant woman's most likely exposures now if you're living in the Northern Hemisphere. You're on an opposite cycle to the Northern Hemisphere if you live in the Southern Hemisphere. And this is what's going around this winter here. And because everyone was so sequestered during COVID, we're seeing sort of what I would call rebound rates of flu and RSV. So during the two years of COVID, when kids were home from school more, we weren't wearing masks, we weren't touching each other as much, we were all staying home a lot more, RSV rates actually went down. Flu rates actually were not as significant. Now everyone's back out in the world and we are having a rebound in the sense that one, we're all unmasked, but two, our immunity and our kids' immunity, so they're becoming carriers and bringing these things home, especially RSV, is lower than it had been when people were getting exposed to these year after year after year. And again, we're in this now, and there's a very good chance we'll still be into this probably into early April. 
With some of these infections, it's the respiratory consequences that are the greatest risk for mama. So mama having breathing problems. Fever is one of the greatest concerns for baby. Also, dehydration is a risk. Dehydration, for example, can lead to preterm labor. And COVID has some unique additional risks that go with it, like preeclampsia. And though it's not common, it can occur. And so it's important to know if you have COVID that your provider, your midwife, your OB, your family doctor is not only checking you prenatally, but also in the postpartum if you have any signs like sudden onsets of headaches, high blood pressure, not feeling well, pain in your upper belly, that you make sure that you ask, that you say, look, I've had COVID and I just want to be checked for preeclampsia. So let's start talking about these different infections, and then we're going to talk about what you can do to protect yourself and your baby. And I'm going to keep reiterating this, is that most pregnant women who get respiratory infections in pregnancy, and most who go through the winter, three quarters who go through the winter, will pick up some cold or something, will be just fine. It's impossible to talk about some of these infections without some scary data. And again, I want you to know the honest facts so you can make the most informed decisions for yourself, a decision that you're not only making for yourself, but your baby while you're pregnant and which can also influence baby's immunity and health after birth. So I'm going to just give a quick kind of 30,000 foot view of what these different infections are. Colds which are a complete nuisance. They just make us feel like crap. But for otherwise healthy pregnant women, they're rarely more than just a nuisance. The biggest issue with colds in pregnancy is keeping fever from getting too high and maintaining adequate hydration. Various studies have really shown conflicting information about this. Some saying it's not as much of a risk, but I wouldn't want to be the one to find out, right? So Keep fevers to a moderate level. And if you do need to use Tylenol, use it short term. I do talk about the risks of Tylenol in pregnancy in my article on my website and also in podcast 113, 113. The bottom line is with short term use for high fever in pregnancy or any fever in pregnancy, the benefits outweigh the risks the biggest risk of dehydration becomes preterm labor. And so that is real. I have seen women get dehydrated and start having contractions. I've treated this in the hospital. I've treated this as a home birth midwife. So staying hydrated is a must. And if you're unable to stay hydrated with any of these infections, it's really important to go get IV fluids because it really is that significant. For any of these conditions that I'm going to talk about today, if you have aches and pains, if you have fever, If it's low or your symptoms are mild to moderate and you can manage, then you can use some of the natural therapies that I talk about in the natural pregnancy book and I talk about on my website, things like ginger tea and chamomile, things that help with the aches and pain and fever. But if your fever starts to climb up really over 102, no matter what it is, talk with your care provider so that you know what the risks are for you and you and your baby, then Tylenol is the go-to medication for that aspirin 
and non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs or NSAIDs like ibuprofen should absolutely be avoided in pregnancy because they can be associated with adverse pregnancy outcomes and adverse outcomes for your baby. The exception to that is if you've been prescribed low-dose aspirin for other medical conditions in pregnancy like preeclampsia or preeclampsia prevention or blood clotting, then that is considered safe and also the benefits outweighing the risk. So colds, irritating, nuisance. You can use comfort, supportive things at home, teas, hydration, soups, all the things. But usually it's going to be self-limiting. So you might simply have a mild case of the flu and you might never really know that it was the flu versus a cold. You have you know, the fever, the headache, the runny nose, the irritated eyes, sore throat, etc. And you're just like, okay, that was a cold. And maybe it was the flu. Flu is typically much more uncomfortable with pretty significant headache, higher fever, and you're really, really achy. You may or may not have any runny nose, any cough, any sore throat, or you may have some but not other of those symptoms. Flu infections in pregnancy are potentially more complicated. And while most women will simply experience discomforts, a small percentage of women will become moderately ill and a smaller but still significant percentage of women may become very ill. And statistically, when we compare population sizes of pregnant women to the rest of the population, pregnant women are actually about five times more likely to be hospitalized for flu and need medical treatment. Now, some of this may actually be due to legal issues leading us to be more likely and more quick to hospitalize and treat a person with the flu if they're pregnant. And that has to do with legal precautions and just being super heightened around treating pregnant women. But it is also independently true that pregnant women are more susceptible to respiratory problems and complications as a result of these upper respiratory infections. And they can also become lower respiratory infections too. Some of the other issues with flu are that transplacental transmission of flu virus to mom to baby can happen. However, it's exceptionally rare that that happens. But being pregnant and getting the flu can have other adverse effects on the fetus, even in the absence of transplacental transmission. So you're not giving the baby the flu through the placenta, but still having the flu during pregnancy. And it may be other factors that are associated with how the flu virus affects the body. It may be fever, it may be dehydration, but it is associated with an increased risk of preterm birth, low birth weight, small for gestational age babies, and even pregnancy loss. So let's all take a deep breath here. I know that scary is a tiny percentage. The importance here is knowing that if you do have flu, don't put off getting the help you need because if you treat the fever, if you get the fluids, these are the things that can help offset this. Also, if you have more than moderate symptoms, you might consider something like oseltamivir or Tamiflu within the first 48 hours is when you have to take it for it to be effective. Now, I do want to say it's not well studied in pregnancy. 
So if you have very mild flu symptoms, you can talk with your provider about one, getting tested to confirm that it is the flu. So you can put your mind at ease if it's just a cold. And you can talk with your provider about whether it's okay and appropriate for you to use natural approaches like elderberry and vitamin C and other things during that first 48 hours, as long as you and baby are okay. And as long as you still leave yourself time to do the Tamiflu if needed. If you have a severe case of the flu in the first 48 hours, you know, then you have to work with your provider to look at the data and what you feel comfortable with, with the possible risk of severe flu in pregnancy and sort of the fuzzy data around Tamiflu in pregnancy. It's not that it's been proven unsafe, it's just there's not enough information, but it is considered safe to use. It's not contraindicated in pregnancy. So what do you do with all of this? Well, the first thing is common sense things to prevent exposure that I'm going to remind you of at the end of this episode and consider the supportive herbs and supplements that I'll tell you about for prevention. Also, if you get sick with a cold or anything, you might be like, oh my gosh, is this a cold? Is this RSV? Is this the flu? Is this COVID? And if you test for COVID or the flu or RSV, you may find out that you have it. You may just say, you know what, I'm just staying home. I don't want to go to the clinic. Or your doctor says maybe stay home so you don't bring your illness into the clinic and expose anyone. You might be able to find, if you have a rapid test for COVID at home, you can rule that out. But for flu and RSV, you'd have to go in. Not really easy to get tested for the cold. It's kind of common things being common. So if you do know what you have and you have symptoms that are concerning or you don't know what you have and you're not sure what to look out for, because a lot of these infections have very overlapping symptoms, sore throat, swollen glands, feeling achy, feeling tired, fever, runny nose, all the things, right? So it can be a little hard to differentiate. Flu, we tend to feel really, really, really achy and high fever, may not have all of the typical cold symptoms. Cold, you feel crummy, but you might not feel as bad as if you have like a more severe case of the flu or very symptomatic. And COVID and flu can have some overlapping symptoms. RSV can seem more like a cold. It can be very mild or it can be as significant as flu symptoms. So what do you look out for? Well, here are some universal symptoms to look out for in any of the common respiratory infections that are important for you to know. You can't retain fluids. So you have a sore throat and you can't drink enough. You are vomiting. You have diarrhea, anything that's causing you to lose fluids. And that's an important symptom. Signs of dehydration. So your mouth feels dry all the time. Your eyes feel dry. You pinch your skin like on your forearm. If you pinch your skin right now, I'm doing it as I'm talking. If you pinch your skin on your forearm, the skin should go right back to its flat place. In more severe dehydration, and please don't let yourself get to this point, but in more severe dehydration, skin does something called tenting, where it doesn't actually go back down because it's kind of dehydrated. It doesn't have that good turgor. So I'm going to repeat inability to retain fluids, signs of dehydration, shortness of breath, chest pain or chest pressure, altered mental status, you feel confused. And this is important for a partner or someone else in your life to know these symptoms because you might be confused and you might not recognize what's going on. Hopefully you wouldn't ever get that sick. But if you feel confused, you know, kind of like delirious or just out of it in a significant way. If you have asthma, you have HIV, you have poorly controlled diabetes, you have immunodeficiency or you're immunosuppressed because you're being treated for an autoimmune condition. If you have any obstetric complications that start to arise, so you start to have 
symptoms of preterm labor. You have contractions. You're not feeling baby move as much. I know these can sound scary. So remember, we're talking about the worst case scenarios. So you know, chances of any of this happening infinitesimal. If you have worsening symptoms after you started to improve, so you start to get better and then you start to get worse again, or if for any reason you feel too sick to take good care of yourself, if you have any of these, this is when you do not pass go, do not collect $200, you get medical care straight away. That might mean going right to the emergency department, not waiting for your doctor to be available. These symptoms are going to be the exception, not the rule. But again, I don't want to just take a wellness approach and pretend that this stuff doesn't happen and that taking elderberry and echinacea is going to make it all go away, even though I love elderberry and echinacea. This is also one area where I do feel vaccination can be worth the peace of mind. Now, again, I'm not getting into vaccine controversies here either today. Those of you who have followed me for a very long time know I wrote a book called Vaccinations, A Thoughtful Parent's Guide. I am very open-minded about the choices that people make around vaccinations. And that said, hopefully you know when you hear me of all people saying this is one time where I do feel, well, there are many times, but this is one time for you that I would consider getting a vaccination in pregnancy because it can be really protective and it eases your mind about worrying about getting the flu. And I think it's really important to do if you are pregnant and have a medical condition like asthma or diabetes that puts you at greater risk for flu complications in pregnancy. And the inactive flu vaccine is the one that should be used. Never use the live flu vaccine in pregnancy. If you do want to reduce any possibilities of exposure to thimerosal, which is that mercury derivative preservative, then request the vaccine come from a preloaded syringe, not a multi-dose vial. It's the multi-dose vial that has the thimerosal in it as a preservative. Again, it's your choice. I'm supportive. I understand why someone might and why someone might not. But, you know, I want you to have all the information when you're making the choices. And I want you to make things as easy for yourself as possible. The vaccine is not nearly fully protective against the flu. Some years it's only like 30%. Some years it's 60, 70%. So you still need to do all the common sense things that I'm going to tell you about at the end of the podcast and remind you about. Getting vaccinated also adds one other level of protection. If you get vaccinated for the flu while you're pregnant, it provides some protection for baby against flu during those early months after baby's born. So if you're having visitors like your mom or your sister or your bestie, or even if your older child is in daycare, care or school and wants to hold the baby in those early months, you can breathe easier about it knowing baby has some protection. But here's something. A recent article reported concerns about flu vaccine when given very early in the first trimester. This is just one small study, but it found an association with an increased risk of pregnancy loss within the first 28 days of following vaccination. So if you get that early first trimester, that first 28 days after, there's an increased risk of miscarriage. Now, scientifically, it's absolutely unclear why this would happen. So what to do? You can consider waiting until later in the first trimester or early in the second trimester to get your vaccination. We just don't know. So keep all of that in mind and you know, you make your decision and make sure that you can talk with your provider openly and honestly about your concerns in both directions. When it comes to flu, if you do get sick, basic comfort measures, 
hot soups, the herbs that I talk about over on my website in how to take care of yourself. If you do get a cold or the flu, I'm not going to talk about those today, but all those articles and podcasts over on my website about treating colds, treating flu, et cetera, et cetera, all always state in them when things are safe for use during pregnancy and breastfeeding. So you can always count on me for that. I'm midwife and mama first. Also, the Natural Pregnancy book, which has been in continuous print for 26 years now and has been updated, also has full sections on what to do if you get cold or flu during pregnancy. All right, RSV. If you have kids or you've been reading the news, you can't miss hearing about respiratory syncytial virus. It's a respiratory infection that can affect people of all ages, but is most serious when it occurs in babies because babies' airways aren't as developed. So they can't cough up and clear mucus like older children and adults, and their airways are also smaller, making it difficult to breathe, and they can get a lower respiratory infection called bronchiolitis. In many adults and older children, RSV simply results in cold-like symptoms. Often there's a cough with it. Very limited studies suggest, limited meaning that there just have not been enough done, which is crazy because kids are the most common population to have RSV and who's taking care of the kids, mama, and who's getting pregnant, that same mama. And yet there are hardly any studies looking at RSV infection in pregnancy. What we do know from the data is that it's generally uncommon in pregnant women, occurs in up to two to 10% of pregnancies. And 10% isn't that small, but 90% of pregnant women don't get it. And it's usually so mild that it's never even recognized as RSV. This also means, though, that we don't have the full data because if it's not recognized and you just think you have a cold and you don't go get tested, a lot of those people are then falling under the radar of the data, right? But in general, it's thought that most cases are mild and may fall somewhere between a common cold and mild flu in severity. Complication risk is higher in women with baseline pulmonary disease, such as asthma, or who are tobacco users. And in anyone, it can lead to hospitalization. And one small study that just looked at three case reports did find that it may be more likely if you have the flu at the same time, which, as I mentioned, can happen. So what can you do? Well, there's no vaccine for RSV. There is one that's in research stages. And the idea is that if mama gets it, it'll protect baby when baby's in those most vulnerable first few months to year of life. So you're going to follow all the common sense methods that I am going to share with you for prevention and also for building optimal immunity, which we're going to get to very shortly. Now, Sophie, you mentioned that you're not too nervous about COVID because you had it. And that's wonderful. I'm glad you're not too nervous. I want to remind everyone that having COVID once does not mean you cannot get COVID again. You can. And you can get another variant. So don't let your awareness down just because you've had it already. Now, in the early months of COVID, I reported a lot of good news. Pregnant women seemed to be wildly protected from getting COVID and from getting severe COVID. Many of us in maternal health were breathing huge sighs of relief. And the phrase, it's a miracle, was said more than once, even by those of us who aren't particularly religious. What we now know is that pregnant women do get COVID just like anyone else. And like with flu, there can be severe risks of respiratory consequences. There can be preterm labor. And as I mentioned, some scarier potential consequences like an increased risk of preeclampsia, which when it's untreated is exceptionally dangerous for mom and baby and can happen fast. So 
When the vaccine was first available, I was not comfortable with pregnant women being experimented on. We now have millions of data points suggesting that COVID vaccine is safe during pregnancy and that the risks of getting COVID and getting very sick are outweighed by the benefits of the vaccine. So the vaccine is a safer known than the unknown of getting COVID and how severe it may be for you. Again, it may be very mild. You may get cold-like symptoms and never even realize you had COVID. You may think you have the flu. But for that small percentage of women, given the millions and millions of people that have it and are still circulating out there and the new variants that are coming up, even though the vaccine doesn't necessarily protect against all the variants, like getting flu vaccine, it does mitigate your risks of getting severe infection and from death. So that covers cold, flu, RSV, and COVID. And if you do get COVID, as with flu, as with colds, it's all the same self-care, right? It's knowing what risks to look out for and making sure you get medical care if you get any of those. Using the natural therapies that you can to reduce the aches for sore throat, for fever, for chills, all the things for tummy discomforts. And then if you need Tylenol for fever or headaches or aches and pains, you can use that. So Sophia asked in her question, she mentioned that her daughter's in preschool and they go to social events and they're worried about all the bugs going around. So what are some of the general precautions that we should take? And Sophia, you asked if you should completely avoid, you know, kind of social settings. Avoiding social settings when you don't have to is not a great idea. You know, the incidence of postpartum depression went up 70% during the pandemic. And why? Isolation. Pregnancy is meant to be something we do in a village of our sisters, our friends, our mothers, our aunties, our nieces, our families, our tribes. And yes, we learned in COVID that we can do amazing things solo and in, you know, socially sequestering. But right now, there's nothing data-wise that's saying you should isolate. And I don't recommend isolating. But I do recommend narrowing your social bubble. I do recommend that you consider, especially if you're going to be in a kind of enclosed place, elevators, airplanes, buses, trains, cars with your family members, not your immediate, if you know they're not sick, but you're going to visit your sister and you know your sister and her husband and the kids all pile in the car with you. Closed spaces, I would wear a mask. I think it's really relevant to do and gives you that extra measure of protection. Stay socially distance from people to the extent that you can in bigger public places. If you're in a supermarket, a shopping mall, you can still observe the six foot rule. And obviously, if somebody's coughing or sneezing, stay away from them and back up from them because you get these viruses primarily through coughing, sneezing, droplets in your eyes, nose or mouth. Again, RSV, you can get from kissing people. You can get any of these from fomites. Those are viral particles that are left on things like doorknobs and elevator buttons. And then you touch your face before washing your hands. So just be mindful. And you don't have to live in the COVID bubble, but be more protective. Now, if you're immunocompromised, you have a severe comorbidity like asthma, you, you know, you may talk with your provider and they may say, you know what, it's worth it to elevate even a next level of precaution, but it doesn't mean you have to socially isolate. Wash your hands often and for at least 20 seconds. Remember that singing happy birthday. I usually sing it two times. The whole happy birthday song, any language that you sing it in. 
And soap and water is adequate. If you're out, you can use hand sanitizer. To use hand sanitizer properly, you put it in your hand and then you rub your hands all over, get all over the fingertips and between the fingers, get under the fingernails and do it until the hand sanitizer is dry. That's when it becomes effective. Avoid touching your face, eyes, nose, and mouth with unwashed hands. Now remember, we're the mamas. We wipe the goober out of our baby's eye, and then we wipe our own eye because our eye itches, and boom, there we've done it. We've just spread the virus to ourselves. So it's hard not to, but as much as you can be mindful to, and certainly when you're out in public. Avoid close contact with sick people. If you're going to a birthday party, you might ask to your knowledge, to the other mama or to your sister, if she's having your niece's birthday party, your nephew's birthday, is everybody healthy if you're going to a family gathering? And if somebody's not, it's a legit choice. If you have toddlers, if you're pregnant, et cetera, et cetera, even if you're not to forego that party and take care of yourself. Stay home when you're sick. So you're doing everyone else the favor. Avoid hugs and handshakes. Keep to fist bumps. I'm back to fist bumps with people. It got so casual to do the hug and then be like, ooh, should I have done that? And I think that for me, there are people I, I will hug if I'm having them for dinner in my house and we're all hanging out on New Year's Eve and we've already kind of self-selected for that. I'm going to give them a New Year's hug. But if you're out there in, in the public and you run into an old friend or a new friend or someone who just wants to say hi instead of shaking hands, fist bump instead of hug fist bump. One more thing that you might not think of and that you might not heard much about is keeping the air in your home moist. When our respiratory passages are dry, when we're breathing in dry air, it makes our respiratory passages and our lungs more irritated, more inflamed, and more susceptible to us getting sick. So if you have dry heat, if you have a wood stove especially, but if you have any dry heat going throughout the colder weather during cold flu, RSV season, et cetera, et cetera, Keep a humidifier on in your room, in your kids' rooms. Be sure to keep the humidifier clean to protect bacteria and molds from growing. I don't recommend using essential oils on a frequent basis, breathing them in. They can act as endocrine disruptors. So now and then you want to do your aromatherapy for your bath. Beautiful even once a week, but don't keep that going. And then some of the essential oils like eucalyptus may not be optimal for little children to be breathing in all the time. And we just don't know during pregnancy. Now, in my recent podcast, how to boost your immunity for cold and flu season, I go into detail on the natural approaches you can take to support and enhance immunity. But what's safe in pregnancy? So let's take a look at that. First of all, a few things, the first three things on my list are absolutely not only safe during pregnancy, but really important. And those are getting enough rest, eating a healthy diet, and exercising. But breaking it down a little more, getting enough rest is critical for immune function. Now, waking up to pee once or twice a night may interrupt your sleep. Do what you can to have comforting, supportive things that help you fall back to sleep easily. If you need an app like Mindspace or Calm, play that to go back to sleep or have some soothing music, R. Carlos Nakai, George Winston, something like that that's just meditative. When we're not getting enough sleep, our immune systems get out of whack. And this is really important to consider if you are a midwife or a night shift worker Make sure that if you're a midwife, you have somebody spotting you at night so that you can get those hours that you need. You don't get exempt from the immune effects of poor sleep because you're out there doing good work in the world. We still want to take care of ourselves. And similarly, if you're a night shift worker as a nurse or work at the airlines, anything that you do, make sure that you're getting enough 
day sleep, see if you can shift to day shifts, if that's possible for you. I know sometimes it's hard. You need the extra money that night shifts give or it's impossible. And make sure that you get rest between shifts and then get naps in the day when you can. If you are on night shift or you're working overnight, don't let that be an excuse for your diet to go to hell in a handbag, right? Being up at night, I know in the hospital, first place that we'd go when we were tired was right to the nurse's station because there were always the brownies and the cookies and the M&Ms and all the things. Bring healthy snacks with you to birth, which brings me to healthy diet. Studies show that getting three servings a day of fresh fruits and vegetables massively, just doing that massively reduces your risks of getting respiratory infections. So make sure you're doing that. Now, three fruits and vegetables a day is not enough. You should really be getting a minimum of six, ideally eight to 10 to get all the nutrients that you need. And I talk about this in my books and in other resources on my podcast, how to do that. I talk about that with a number of different guests, including um, Robin Chutkin. When we're talking about gut health, I talk about it with Jess Inshosp, the glucose goddess, how to make sure we're getting these healthy nutrients in our diet. So make sure to get at least three daily servings of fruits and vegetables. Our blood sugar balanced is really important for our immunity. One of the ways we do that is by avoiding processed sugars and empty carbs, which actually in and of themselves deplete our immunity. They deplete our nutrients because our body has to work against the inflammation that those things cause. So a healthy, high protein, whole foods diet that includes at least three servings of fruits and vegetables a day. But I'm like shaking my finger here and going, no, 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 it's really not enough. If you're not sure about nutrition in pregnancy, Lily Nichols' website has wonderful resources. Her book, Real Food in Pregnancy, is a wonderful one to use. And then also what to eat when you're expecting is a great resource for meal plans and menus. So healthy diet, super, super important. And often, if you're a mama with toddlers, you're eating toddler lunch, toddler dinner. Don't do that. Eat real food. Even if you eat the, the tofu nuggets or the chicken nuggets, make sure you're getting the kale or the collards or the broccoli or the big salad with all of that and all the other things that you need. Okay, exercise. This is nuts, but walking 30 minutes a day or even a few times a week, ideally up to an hour a few times a week, and it doesn't even have to be like a massively brisk walk, but just getting out there and taking a walk is now being considered like one of the most important things we can do to prevent getting COVID and severe COVID. But we also know from other studies, and I talk about this much more at length in my podcast on how to boost your immunity for cold and flu season, that the data is substantial. Now, it's really easy to say, like, oh, my back hurts and my belly's too big. Mm -mm -mm. Walking and exercise are important for good bowel movements and elimination. Who doesn't want that when they're pregnant, especially big and pregnant? For a healthier, easier labor. So all the things, all the things. Keep moving if you're not sure what to do. Check in with your midwife, your MD, or find local mamas that are you know, in prenatal class all the things, but some form of exercise is really important, ideally every day or at least three to four times a week. One study found that even walking just, I think it was 30 minutes or an hour, even one time a week though, still decrease your risk. But again, it's not enough. All right. What about supplements that you can take? Now, remember, we're not talking about treatment here. We're talking about things you can do to boost immunity for prevention. I mentioned a number of these over in the how to boost immunity for cold and flu season, and these apply to RSV and COVID prevention as well. I mentioned vitamin C, vitamin D3, zinc, probiotics, echinacea, and I talk about all the data behind all of these. Which ones are safe for pregnancy? Well, that's really interesting, isn't it? 
a lot of herbs and supplements we just don't have data on. And many of them we could presume are not safe and appropriate for pregnancy. But the good news with these is you can use them during pregnancy. So vitamin C, which aids in the formation of immune cells, supports their function, and supports the health of the respiratory passages from microorganisms, has been found in a number of different studies that I talk about over in that other podcast to shorten the duration of cold, reduce symptoms, reduce the likelihood of getting cold and flu. And the thing with this is it only seems to be beneficial if it's taken preventatively daily. So anywhere you are in your pregnancy now, or if you're not pregnant yet and you're planning to get pregnant, start taking it. The main thing you need to know about vitamin C in pregnancy is that the upper limit of safety is 4,000 milligrams a day, not including what you're getting in your diet. So we're not measuring what you're getting in an orange for vitamin C, but in a supplement. Most prenatal vitamins have a very low amount of vitamin C in them. What I recommend is not exceeding 2,000 milligrams a day during pregnancy and plus whatever's in your prenatal vitamin. Now, vitamin C is a water-soluble vitamin, meaning that if you take it and you're getting more than your body needs at any one time, guess what happens? You pee the rest out. So taking 1,000 or 2,000 at one time, you're basically only effectively going to get 500 milligrams a day. So you do want to break it up through the day. I usually recommend a 500 milligram dose because in some studies, that's kind of the max that you'll absorb at one time. So you take 500 in the morning, 500 midday, and then you can take 1,000 in the evening, something like that, but safe to take throughout pregnancy. Vitamin D3 is also critical for optimal immune function. It's also critical for your baby's bone formation, for healthy teeth, and so has multiple, multiple benefits. It's also helpful for healthy blood sugar balance. Vitamin D3 is also safe to take during pregnancy, and studies have shown not only reduce risks of upper respiratory infection in pregnancy, but reduce risks of asthma. So if you have asthma, it's important to talk with your provider about taking vitamin D. And studies have shown that low vitamin D actually is associated with increased risk of COVID and COVID severity. And there may be some protective benefits of taking vitamin D to prevent COVID. It doesn't help if you get COVID necessarily. So vitamin C, vitamin D, zinc. Zinc is also intimately involved with many aspects of immune functioning and maintaining resistance to upper respiratory infections. And zinc lozenges are the preferred form of taking them. Typically, you start taking them if you do have the onset of an upper respiratory infection. You can start taking them within 24 hours of the onset of symptoms. You take them for two to four days. In pregnancy, you can use zinc. A couple of things to keep in mind. The adult max dose is about 40 milligrams a day. I don't recommend taking that much for prevention during pregnancy because I don't feel like the data is strong enough. So I usually recommend up to 20 milligrams a day, including what's in your prenatal vitamin. The other thing is that it's horribly nauseating. So I would not take it during first trimester. Really, I wouldn't. And don't take it on an empty stomach ever. Probiotics. What we know about probiotics is a couple of things. And it seems to be that taking probiotics in one way or another, whether it's through the gut microbiome or through some other aspects that it's having on our inflammatory and immune response does seem to have some benefits in possibly preventing cold and flu. The data has been mixed, however, and most of the data has been found to decrease upper respiratory infections in children, athletes, and the elderly there isn't any data that I've seen on immunity, cold, and flu during pregnancy. That said, a probiotic 
is a safe option. So if you want to take it to support immunity, I don't see any reason not to. I wouldn't say it's going to like the critical linchpin here, but if you do want to take it, it's reasonable to add on. And what I recommend is a probiotic that contains a mix of lactobacillus and bifidobacterium strains and at least 10 million colony forming units. That's how the dose is described, like the concentration is described. And then just follow what's on the package. Last but not least, I want to mention echinacea. Echinacea is traditionally used to support immunity and it's been the subject of many studies. One large study that was done in Canada many years ago, it's about 15 years ago now, retroactively looked at a large database of pregnant women who were surveyed throughout their pregnancy and then after and asked whether they had used echinacea during pregnancy and for how long and during which trimesters. And the study concluded that echinacea taken during any trimester and for any length during pregnancy is considered safe. Now, most of the data on echinacea does show that it may reduce the risk of upper respiratory infections and reduce the duration of upper respiratory infections. Again, like some of these other things, the data is mixed. And so we can't say for sure that it is going to be beneficial in prevention, but I think it's kind of low-hanging fruit. It seems to be safe and maybe helpful. So the things I would absolutely lean into are all the preventative protection strategies, the hand washing, et cetera, et cetera, exercise, rest, and sleep, the vitamin C, vitamin D3. And if your stomach can tolerate it, you can consider the zinc. I think a probiotic is an easy add-in. And if you are susceptible to cold and flu, infections, et cetera, you have little ones around the house, you can give it to them and you can take the echinacea yourself. The reason I'm not mentioning elderberry, it's really much more for the onset of cold and flu. And also there's just not enough solid data to say that it's safe for long-term use in pregnancy. So if someone has flu symptoms, they're starting to get sick, they're in that first couple of days, absolutely, it can be used. But for prevention, I don't recommend using it long-term. And we know that it can have some impacts on the immune system that may or may not be advisable during pregnancy. Similarly, adaptogens and medicinal mushrooms. Look, if you want to have a cup of reishi hot cocoa or you want to have a chaga chai once in a while as a beverage during pregnancy, that's fine. It's like having a cup of coffee during pregnancy. You can do that. I don't recommend daily regular use of adaptogens or medicinal mushrooms, which are also adaptogens. They can be phenomenally immune boosting, but we just don't know enough about the data on their safety in pregnancy. And they do some things to the immune system, to cortisol and to blood sugar regulation that when we're not pregnant can be beneficial, but when we're pregnant may actually be counterproductive in pregnancy, so not optimal or safe. So I don't recommend using those. All right. I know that we talked about some big, scary stuff here. I want to come back to where I started at the beginning. Congratulations on being pregnant. If you're trying to conceive, it's a beautiful, wonderful time. The chance of you getting very sick with any of these is really, really low. But I want you to have the information so that if you do have symptoms, you can have a measured approach. You've got the list of symptoms that I've shared with you, which you will also find along with this supplement information and a link to the cold and flu immune boosting blog with the more data on these different supplements in there over at my website at avivaram.com, immunity in pregnancy. So you'll find all of this written down. You don't have to remember it. 
you're also going to find something like 25 or 30 references to this podcast that support what I'm talking with you about. I hope that you have found this helpful. I hope you love this new feature. Some of these will be 20 or 30 minutes, 40 minutes. Some of them will be longer. But remember, you can call in. You've heard the number play in the podcast episode already. You can call in and leave me a message. And I pick the questions that seem most relevant, most interesting to the broader audience for you to hear me answer. Thank you so much. I wish you a healthy season. I wish you a worry-free, anxiety-free, joyous pregnancy with wonderful people to support you and adequate resources to always have the information you need. I'll see you next time. I hope you enjoyed this episode, that it helped you to feel seen and heard, and perhaps that it even brought you some aha moments. Please share the love by sharing this with a friend or someone in your life who could benefit from the kinds of things we talk about in this space. Also, make sure to follow me on Instagram at dr.avivaram and go to avivaram.com to join the conversation about the show on my blog. While you're there, you can sign up for my free newsletter with tips on taking back your health. Be sure to leave a rating and a review for the podcast and follow the podcast to be notified of new episodes every week. Can't wait to see you next time.